0: Welcome to the practice of being seen. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. In these curated discussions, I invite you to make space to see yourself But here's a little warning. The practice of being seen might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? Hello dear listeners and welcome back to episode 43 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. Today, we're joined by John Harrison, a licensed mental health counselor and a certified relational life therapist. He has extensive experience working with men while serving as an army officer, as a therapist at the VA hospital, and as a marriage therapist. He's the proud father of two young girls. He owns Life Made Conscious located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he's the host of the True Calling Project podcast. I'm also happy to call John a friend and one of my favorite colleagues to consult with. We had the opportunity to spend some quality time together at one of Terry Reel's relational life therapy practicums. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with John and to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, here's today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm here today with my friend, John Harrison, and John and I have had the opportunity to get to know each other during a practicum with Terry Reel recently, and John is just a really wonderful couples therapist, and he does some amazing work with men, and I wanted to introduce you to him. So welcome, John.
1: Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about your work and just what you love about it?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm out here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a licensed mental health therapist. And I kind of found myself into the, if you can call it a niche, what I do now. And it really came about by doing the work that I did with Terry the past three years. Um, So primarily now I work with... um, pretty distraught couples. Uh, Many of them are on the brink of divorce. And a spinoff of that has been my work with men. And I feel like it's also kind of paralleled some of my past experiences being in the military, um, being in a a mentorship role in some of my other past life career occupations and uh, working with veterans at the VA hospital. I just have always kind of felt like that's kind of my kind of lane And I've really just recently, the past couple of years, just really started to focus in on that. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do.
0: I, I love it. And, you know, one of the things that I think you're really good at is getting men in the door, getting them to know why they want to do the work with you. And I think for a lot of therapists, that is often a hard piece that... Especially with couples, women often want to come to therapy, and well, at least in my practice, I do get a lot of calls from men. But it tends to be like when the women are so one foot out of the relationship.
1: It's difficult. I don't think that therapy is a natural language for men. You know, it's just it's just not right. And it's funny. I was you brought this up because I'm I'm talking with a couple today, um, just just a couple of hours ago. And I don't know about you, but like, I, I kind of see sometimes I, like I hear through uh, like parables or through like pick like visuals (laughs) as I'm talking to people. So I'm looking at this guy and I'm looking and I'm thinking like, you know, you know what this is like? And I just said this to him, I said, it's like a different language. And I think he was following me and I said, you know, you, you know, English, but if you were to learn Spanish, which is what she's asking you to do. I mean, you don't have to stop speaking English. You just have to know when to speak the Spanish. And I think for many, many, many times for men, what the the hard sell is, is that uh, therapy can feel overwhelming. Like, like they're trying to be transformed in so many ways and it can feel kind of threatening. So, um, you know, what, what we want to do, ideally as therapists, is to show them, men in this case, like, well, here's what you're going to gain by fully participating in this process. And, you know, your relationship in particular, and kind of showing the positives.
0: You know, I think one of the things that comes up a lot, though, is that men don't often have the language around talking about their feelings that women are encultured with from a very early age. And so when we ask men to step in and to say, how are you feeling about this? Or talk about that emotional piece of the relationship. It's pretty scary and really vulnerable. And it's not something I think that a lot of men have the tools naturally just to do.
1: I, I don't no, I don't think so. I, I think it's a learned, it's a learned skill. It's something that Terry had said, and I, I feel like it was at our uh, level two practicum was that a, a lot of what defines a man from an early age, or the message is, is it's, it's like what you're not. Right. So it's not about, you know, allowing yourself to f- kind of fully and naturally form as a, as a male being. It's that, you know, you don't want to be uh, a feminine kind of figure, or you don't want to be what what's considered a sissy or uh, whatever the case might be. So a lot of those things are, they're negatively reinforced. And you know, that that's learned behavior.
0: And it makes the work really scary. Sometimes it makes getting vulnerable and feeling really intimate with your partner in that way, really scary. I've had so many couples who walk in and sit down on my couch and she's asking for him to desire her more. And he's basically saying, I don't want to be too feminine.
1: No, it, I, and I really think it's, it's, it's not, it's not as simple as what it, it seems. I mean, it it seems simple and here, you know, you and I are talking, we're therapists and we can talk this language and, and even in our relationships, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're pretty fluent. Right. So, but for some people, you know, it's not going to be that easy. And I think what we want to do, you know, we're asking them, to be more um, connected and empathetic and stuff. So what we kind of, what we want to do and start with it is kind of empathize with the struggle that they're going through and just and what we're seeing in front of us. (laughs) It's like, this is a really big deal for you. Like, this is really hard. Um, This can be overwhelming or potentially even frightening because it might be attacking your sense of self. So, you know, addressing those, those points and, in the ways that they you know might be effective depending on who you are and what type of therapist you are. But when we do that, we kind of like, we now we're modeling for them what it's like to, to give attention to those things. And I think before we can even get them to do that with their wives or have their wives kind of show them how to do it, like they have to address their own their own you know resistance in ways.
0: And I think you just said something that was so important. You were talking about modeling, but you said, this is how we show them how to give attention to those things. Because in so many ways, this is the thing that the work is all about. It's about where we choose to put the attention.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm probably going to always kind of steer off onto the, the theoretical and, and the that's cool theological kind of thing. I, I just, I can't help it. So <laughs> it's right there in front of us. We're, we're, if we're wanting to model and wanting them to learn acceptance and love, then let's accept and love exactly what we're seeing. Right. Which means we're working with what we have. It may not be preferable, right? It's not like we, this is the end state or, you know, and it might come with a lot of resistance from the partner and they're probably pissed and maybe they have every right to be. But the thing is, is that as the therapist, you know, we, if we're going to want them to to learn something new, then we would definitely want to model that love and acceptance right there in the moment. And I think it's just as simple as just really appreciating like the depth of what they're experiencing. You know, we're not coddling them. We're not making excuses for them. We're not doing that. We're just kind of reflecting back and helping them own what they're actually processing. We're not trying to change them in that moment. We're just trying to help them kind of like, be with themselves. Yeah. Be with themselves. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like like this, this, this like kind of motion of like hugging myself, like, like I got to own it, you know, Yeah, I have to own this first before I can change it.
0: And that's such a, it's such a big deal. And, you know, I, I want to flip this around a little bit because, you know, when I, when I'm working with couples, there's these two sides, right? There's the, the side where oftentimes the male partner is the one who, is having a hard time owning this. And oftentimes the female partner is basically sitting there saying like, you need to want me more, like you, you need to desire this. And I need to know that you want this <laughs> and you need to show up for it. And when I, in, t- in terms of the theoretical, I'm pulling from a lot of different places. And one of the places I pull from is Esther Perel's work. And she talks a lot about how desire is owning the wanting. And so I think this is an interesting interplay here between these two things that are showing up often for couples these days in the room, and how you're talking about what the work is. It's that owning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm really curious to tell me more about because I love Esther Perel. I I I think that if there was a textbook that was missing in grad school, it was written by her, but. It wasn't written yet. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I, I really love her approach and everything that she, she puts out there. But tell me more about that because I'm not quite sure if I'm understanding. If you're
0: following it. Yeah. So when she, she talks, you know, Terry talks about this a little bit too, about this love-lust split and how oftentimes couples get into a place in modern relationships where it's difficult to desire and lust after your partner, who you're going through the everyday with, that our relationships weren't built in this way. They were built in a way where, you know, centuries ago, we got married, it was like a business transaction. You would have kids together, you would work the fields together, you would have enough kids to make sure that you could work the fields together. It was, it was about being bountiful. And then men were in culture that they could, you know, have a lover on the side, and that was kind of what was expected. And now that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a monogamy in many cases, not not all relationships are, but in many cases, we're looking for these modern versions of monogamy where we get everything from one relationship. And in that sense and in that space, we get confused with love and lust that
1: I think when I'm, what I'm kind of gathering and I, I, I'm pretty sure I get it. It's kind of like there's a longing there. There's a distance mm. and you know, you gotta be okay with that first. Like see that, that, that um, the polarity of what you're requesting, like there's still importance in that too.
0: Yes. And we also want mystery. You know, and so right. oftentimes we want the things that we don't have that aren't in right. front of us, that we don't see right. everything about. And right. it's that wanting that we're attracted to. It's not actually the getting. It's mm-hmm. the wanting. Mm-hmm. And so when she talks about it, she talks about that owning the wanting, owning the, mm-hmm. the fact that you want, not necessarily that you have or that you can have.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's seeing the whole the whole part of that. It's not just... Um, yeah. Or the whole aspect of it. It's not just the fact that like, oh, this sucks. I don't have what I want. But like, hey, there's there's some energy in this that's really important to our attraction and our, our uh, relationship. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Yeah.
0: And I think it, it plays in a little bit. Like... Because in so many relationships, people feel like they need to be everything mm-hmm. to their partners and they need to not have secrets between them and they need to know whole truths. And in those places, when we get into relationships like that, where we all of a sudden become each other's best friends and lovers and partners and everything, there's no more secrets. There's no more mystery. It's hard to get into that place of, of that desire because you right. have it all.
1: Right. Well, I like that I, I I think that if I'm hearing it from a woman's perspective since you know we're, we're talking about a man um mm-hmm. maybe my fear would be this like oh well you know if I'm okay and I'm fine with things being in some ways the way that they are um you know is he gonna like drift off and you know, never to be seen from again, emotionally or, or physically. So I'm wondering, um, from a man's perspective, what the buy-in would be to kind of recognize that love lust split that you're talking about. Cause I, 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 th- I, really think that's important, but you know, from that man's perspective, like what, what do you what, not kind of just curious to get your take? Like, what do you yeah. think would be, would be the, um, kind of the, the buy-in for him?
0: Well, I, th- I think, you know, it gives him spaces where he gets to go have guy friends or he gets to go do things that don't necessarily always have to include her. But there also has to be a basic sense of trust in their relationship that can provide for they're going to be safe and they're going to be OK. And neither one of them feels really mm-hmm. manipulated.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. There's there's space for both. I, I wrote this post. I. I think it was about a year or so ago and I got a little bit of flack for it. And the title of the post was, was, what's that?
0: It said, which post was this?
1: Um, I think I got flack for it from my wife and then a couple of relatives. (laughs) The the post post was titled, your spouse doesn't have to be your best friend. Uh, That was, that was the title of the post. And Mm -hmm. I, I went on to write about not expecting your spouse to be everything for you because that's just not realistic. But should you marry your best friend, then then bonus—you've you've won right. the Super Bowl. You know that's great. It's just—it's not. I don't think it's a prerequisite for a healthy relationship. That was I my totally
0: was agree. I don't think it's a pre prerequisite, and I think in the relationships where it does exist those partners have to make sure that they also have other spaces for their own interests, because if they don't, they can burn out on each other.
1: I I agree 100%. Yeah. It takes, it takes some, some, in some ways it takes more attention. Yeah. Um. You know, it sounds great to have that, that best friend aspect, but then, you know, if you're not hyper or vigilant rather, yeah, things could get muddled. They could get, um, stale, they can get, uh, you know, un- undesirable for, for so many reasons, but yeah, I think that just puts a lot of pressure. I mean, not only in the man, um, huh. on, but on, man, both like, partners. on both partners, it's just, dude, you know, we can't, you said it, you said it well, You're like we can't be everything for each other. And should we even, should we even ask that for each other? Is that even something that is one, is it doable? And two, is it even desirable?
0: Right. Is it, you know, John, I think one of the things that doing this work has done for me is that it's also transformed who I am in my relationship with my partner. And I'm guessing from knowing you that it's also had a similar effect on you.
1: It, it has. Um, so I'll tell you a little story. I'm, I just gotten done reading the book. I don't want to talk about it. Which is Terry Rios book from nineteen ninety seven, and his first book. It, yeah, it was his first book, and and it, it was recommended to me by um, a coworker I had when I was working at the the VA hospital, and she said, "You need to read this book. It's phenomenal." I've given it to some clients so far. I've read it. I, I really love it, and I said, "Yeah, you know, and check it out." And it was about covert depression and I read it and I actually I read it twice and it reading that book changed me um, in so much that it gave me kind of a, an opening to see myself in a different way. Um, recognize some things that I think I'd been pushing aside for myself just as a, as a man and how I relate to myself emotionally, how I relate to my wife um, and our relationship emotionally. So I got, I went on this Terry real kick and I had gotten, I think I'd borrowed the CDs from the same person where he's, he's, he's got these, these CDs on infidelity and, and, and on narcissistic partners from different workshops he's done in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years. Right. And we're it's a six, I think it was like a six disc set and we we're driving to Myrtle beach for vacation. And we listened to all of it together. You uh, listen
0: to it with your wife,
1: with my wife. Yeah. Um, you know, in between my daughter doing what a one and a half year old does on vacation drives, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fussing, but for the most part, we, you know, we're, we're listening to these CDs all the way through and, and, um, it, it shifted our relationship. I mean, I don't know. It sounds simple. Like just, you know, a couple of CDs and some talks, but the, the points are so poignant and they're so impactful in ways because you can relate to it because his work is relatable that we both kind of like felt that impact together. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's changed my relationship tremendously. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this with, in terms of that you know kind of enclosure of that story. You know, one of one of the things that that um Terry Real is really good with in his model that I've really been able to to benefit from is that he he calls things what they are. That there's no glossing over, but at the same time he does it in a, with a loving touch. Like it's not about like shaming or rejecting or trying to make you feel bad. And Um, I saw myself in a lot of his points that I'm listening to on these CDs with my wife. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I make some of these changes, how my relationship might shift. And I feel like I did. My wife might differ to some degree, but I feel like I made some pretty good changes and you know what? Um, Things got a lot better. (laughs) So it was like, on one hand, I felt really good that I had that much impact. And on the other hand, I was like, "Oh crap!" Like this whole time, it really was a lot about me and my behavior. Huh. And I, you know, I, I own that. I do the best I can, and of course, I'm still a work in progress. And I you know I try to take the work in the, of my personal work and my relationship and into the work I do with couples because it wasn't like it wasn't like a you know five year long arduous process. I mean, I literally started to make changes. Within days and weeks, and just try to make continual improvements and attention to them, and it really significantly helped. Um, in,
0: within days and weeks of digesting this new information that you were taking in,
1: you're right, right. You're you're asking me like was it was just the days and weeks that I was taking it in. Was
0: yeah, it was it was like you. It didn't the process of making changes within yeah. yourself, It was a pretty quick turnaround in terms of when you started to make those shifts?
1: Well, sure, because it's simple stuff. It's, not, it's simple stuff in terms of the investment of time, right? It, I like to tell the story to couples because I, I think it's hilarious, but it proves a really good point, and it involves me. I, and I tell them a the story about how my wife used to get on my case about leaving water on the sink like I would wash my hands and there would be droplets of water on the sink. Now to me, <laughs> I just had never paid attention. You know, I had I, never occurred to me that water shouldn't belong on a sink because well, water comes from the sink. So to my thinking, I was like, what's a big deal. Why is there a problem with that? You know? So after getting tired of getting nagged at, I decided to say like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, I want to understand why this is is a big deal to you so I can do better. And she told me and I took that in and I I promised her, I said, I'm going to make changes. I'm going to, I'm going to do better at this. But I, when, when she felt like she was acknowledged and I said, okay, well, I'm gonna let you know something. And I said, honestly, I was never trying to hurt you or piss you off or feel like I was ignoring you. I was, I just, it never occurred to me. And so I want to extend to you the promise that I'll do better if you extend to me the patience to let me get better.
0: That's beautiful.
1: And she did, and I did better. And we, I we kind of use that as a, like a stepping stone into working on bigger things, you know. And I like to tell that story to people I'm um, working with, with in therapy because I want to remind them that the little things are big things, and the big things are little things.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and, but the, but the important thing is like, where can you meet to make this start to move? You know, where can you meet to own it and where can you meet to understand that the change in your behavior, while it might seem small right now or insignificant, can have a really huge impact.
0: It really can. And I think stories like, like the sink, they're so important because when we can hold those stories and remember them as a couple, they can help to model for us the changes that we can make in other places in our lives and in our relationship as well. It's too easy for couples to get stuck in that content, contemptuous cycle of, well, you never do this or you always do that instead of remembering that change is possible. Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: It is. And I think that men typically, um, not all, but, but, but a lot, you know, they fear that they're going to get held in the same contempt when they go to couples therapy um, or they're going to be reprimanded over and over and over again so it's 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 really showing them the other side of that it's not about it shouldn't be it doesn't need to be about that space of contempt or reprimand it's like hey man you know there's a payoff to this like you get the benefit this is going to be cool (laughs) like you're going to really appreciate this when you decide that, that you're one you, you know, you can put in some intention and effort on on your part. And, um, you know, back to your question earlier, like, we we can get them to buy in and help them see that. I I think it's, it's, it turns as a therapist, it turns your process and it's like trying to chisel away stone into working with putty. Like it just totally shifts, shifts the whole dynamic.
0: I, I love this. And you know, one of the things you talked about before was the, the speaking truth with that loving touch <clears throat> in terms of how Terry does that. And mm-hmm. I think in many ways, it's also what you embody in your work, especially now that you've been training in the RLT model. And yeah. I think this is something that is Difficult to learn for for some. I know it's (laughs) the more I dive into the RLT model, it's something that I'm seeing in regards to my own shadow work that I have to pay more attention to. Is that speaking truth to power, as Terry puts it, right? But doing that in this really loving way, it's something I can do and I know I do it pretty well. And it's also something that I struggle with. Because for me, (laughs) speaking truth was something I was told I wasn't really allowed to do. And as a therapist, we're not often told until now, until these newer models that we can kind of take sides and have opinions.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I love, I love what you said. I, and I think it's really important um, because we're not dealing with objects, right? We're dealing with human beings. So human beings are fluid and we're flexible and we're not, easily bound by academic truths. And Jim, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, like we pull a lot of our knowledge as therapists, especially in school from, um, evidence-based scientific based approaches. Now I have n- no problem with those and I use many of them, you know, specifically like CBT. The thing is, is that. We don't, that doesn't need to be a barrier for speaking our own level of truth. Like there's space for that. And it's not only is there space, it's necessary. Right. Because we can't teach couples how to be appropriately relational without appropriately relating with them.
0: Can you say that again? That's so important.
1: Yeah. We can't teach people and couples how to relate appropriately without relating appropriately with them. You know, we want to model that for them. So, you know, that might look different for you than it does for me. And it should because we're different people, right? So as a therapist, we're all individuals and that's the beauty of it. You get to carry your own best resource with you. It's called you So if I'm, Mm -hmm. if if I, if I get to relate to that man and I'll say something to him, like, Hey man, I get it. I've been there and I can see why you're seeing this and why you're, I can even see why you're feeling this. I get it. But here's the thing. And then I'll lay out all the things that he's missing out on. For example, I'm not going to talk to him. Like I'm, doing the therapy to him right i'm gonna talk to him from as a man to a man because i might as well do that since i'm already sitting there in front of him and i might as well share with him some experience that i think might be beneficial um and if you know the 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 results will be what they are but i'm but i but i'm i'm not gonna um, I guess I kind of the point of my own career where I'm, I'm just not going to withhold on what I feel like is my greatest resource, which is my own experience and my own ability to to see what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Or as you like to say about Terry Real, like, you know, calling truth to power, like if I'm seeing it and I'm feeling it, then why wouldn't I reflect that truth? And I just, it, it just, I don't know, it just at some point it just makes too much sense not to.
0: Yeah. I often talk about it in the form of you-ness, you know, it's it's how you show up in the room. Yeah. And yeah. If we dismiss that, then we're losing so much of the fact that there is another person in the room that we are relating with our, with our clients.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, you had mentioned uh, too, and I thought it was really cool um, about that ability to, I think I'm trying to remember how you said it, but it's like the, the ability to approach the person with love and understanding and then also be able to do it internally. And then you mentioned, uh, because at some point you weren't allowed to talk about.
0: Right. Yeah. There's that piece about my own shadow. Yeah. And yes. you know, as therapists, we all have our shadows too. We're not just able to help people through this stuff. We have to do our own work also.
1: Right. Right. So what I, I, I love the shadow piece and, and I, and I, what I love about it is because it's so, so challenging. It's so challenging, but there's so much, there's so much impact with it.
0: There's so rich.
1: It is. It's, it's, it's incredibly. And, um, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some danger with it too, because our psyche is in some ways, it's not, it's not completely, um, welcoming of connection.
0: Right. Because, because that's where there's traumas.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, our psyche and our mind have to come in with our, th- into our therapy just as much as we, we do. Um, and, you know, when that comes up, we're going to see that. And it it's, it's, you know, call it the ego, call it whatever you want. But, you know, we also have to kind of hold that with some love too. Like, Oh, you know, this triggered me. Hey, when this, when you said that to her, like that triggered me, man, you know, or her to him in, you know, you're, you're saying it to yourself because you're having to, have to own your transference and your own response. But, you know, that, that bit of connection, when we can connect to it and, and love it, it's like I see you in me and I see me in you.
0: Yes. And
1: I'm actually feeling that.
0: And it also gives us another way to access the work. Because if I can feel triggered by my clients and sit with that within myself and give it some love and attention Mm -hmm. and be able to tend to those feelings, I know something really intimate at that moment about what my clients are dealing with too.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Because you're picking up on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, if you can, if you can reflect that back and to them in a way that they can relate to. Now you're now you're strengthening that connection even more. Very much. You know, and that, that that's what we're doing, especially you know with men. We we want to we want to meet them on their ground, and we want to we want to connect with them on their ground because pulling them from their ground to yours, or from your ground to hers, or their partner's, whatever the case might be, that's not the way to do it. It's not going to work. Talk it's not, not Talk more sure. about that. Talk more
0: about that. What do you mean?
1: I'm going to do it in my way. I'm going to do it how I know how to do it. But what I'm saying is, is that it's, it's just a lot of what I just said before. And that is, is like, I'm going to relate to this person on how I know how to relate to him. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to do it in the way that I know how to do it. So like sometimes like, like I had this guy come in this morning with his wife and I told him, I said, is he ever heard the term you're putting it on a, on a T and he's like, yeah. I said, well, you're putting this all on a T for me. This is, this is, I feel like I can relate to you, and here's why. I and mean, I talked about our shared military experience, about our shared combat military experience. I talked about some of my uh, understanding of being walled off and being avoidance and all that stuff. And you know that that's not hard. But then there's also times where the ground we're standing on is where I'm going to connect with you, but where I'm going to help take you is not here. It's going to be over there. <laughs> so come with me if you're willing, and. I'll help you. And of course he either agrees to do that or he can not, or he can agree to it over time. But I mean, that's in essence what I'm doing. Like we're, we're appreciating and understanding the ground that you're on, but that's not where you want to be. And if you can understand that with me, then I think we'll probably move into uh, a relatively good direction.
0: Yeah. And so this is the relational work. And I I think this is different in many ways from the evidence-based work because it's inviting a different side of the therapist into the room.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Well, you know, in grad school, if your grad school was like mine, you know, self-disclosure was (laughs) don't do it, Rebecca or John, unless you do 5%, whatever the hell that means. I don't know. I've never... I still don't understand what 5% means, but 5% of the time you can do disclosure. Anything else out of that, don't. Right. So 6% is too much.
0: And yet we're doing disclosure in so many different ways all the time. We do disclosure in how we breathe. We do disclosure in what our offices look like and the clothing that we choose to wear. Like disclosure is happening. We might right. as well just step into the room and be fully human too. Because when we don't, that's when I think therapists get into a lot of trouble.
1: I think you're right. I I think that, if I can use another terrorism, they smell it, you know, clients, they smell that and whether they realize it or not, they, there's a lack of distrust mm-hmm. built. Right. So um, it's another example
0: I'm, of using power. Yeah, sure.
1: Right. You know, we, we 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 know that our our couples are going to get better, our, our clients are going to get better when they're empowered, and so we want to give them the empowerment. And how do we do it? We show them that this is the way that we deal with truth, right? And we, we want them to make decisions based on that. So you and I can both disclose the best that we can, and our couples can. You know, maybe one in particular might be like, thanks, but no thanks, goodbye. Well, that's still an empowered decision based on what they want. And so all we're responsible for is what we can, you know, put out there.
0: Yes. Can we shift this a tiny bit, John?
1: Yeah, sure. No problem.
0: You recently ran or started to run a men's group.
1: Yeah, correct. And
0: I would love for you to talk a little bit about the benefits of that for the people. Yeah, Sure
1: um so this is a new group i i just was able to get enough group members um two weeks ago so tomorrow will be our third group meeting and it's a handful of men that i selected um and of course offered invitations to and they agreed to come in and um in the, the The mix of men that I have right now is an interesting group we've got some prior military um we've got uh some analytical types we've got some financial types we've got um a lot of a lot of cognitive energy there and the one thing that they have in common i think is this shared sense of emptiness um not to be too sad or morose, but they're not getting what they want out of their life. They're many of them depressed and, and you know it's affecting their relationships and they're not getting, they're, they're just not satisfied. They're not happy. Um, so the inspiration for the group really came from my group experience when I was working with veterans at the VA and I would, I would lead groups then and the, the, the topics were different. I mean, I'm working with recent combat veterans or Vietnam veterans or, um, Veterans and in, in in general and and a lot of what we would talk about in group would be around the reasons why they were in treatment. And at the time, I was working in a residential rehab treatment for alcohol and substances. So, um, but we did we did explore a little deeper about you know the the meaning of you know masculinity, um, what our experiences are like with being depressed or dealing with overwhelming things like anxiety, um, dealing with making just meaning out of uh, any experience that we have in our life and kind of how we contextualize that. Like, what does that mean as, as a man? And so it was interesting to see how through that challenge, um, for men to step outside their comfort zone. I thought it was really interesting to see the other side of them come out, you know? So. When you, you say like the shadow, other
0: side, are you talking about more
1: like, like-, like shadow stuff? You know what I mean? And, and when I, and when I say shadow, I mean, a lot of it's just like some feminine energy basically. Right. More like
0: more vulnerable, more, more. Yeah,
1: intense. Right. Like feminine energy is the oil of the machine of like therapy, right. Or groups. It's you have to have it. It is the essence of therapy. So to see the men generate their own is really, really, really impactful. It's inspiring. I learned a ton just as being a group leader, and um, but it's also the very thing that they that men tend to stay away from,
0: unless they're in groups of other men. I think
1: unless they're in groups of other men, ideally, right? So there's a there's a rather. Uh, lengthy warm up period you know the, the group that i have now is not going to be the same group that meets in 3 months no they're going to be different they're going to be different men they're going to be different right and that's cool that's fine i'm totally okay with it taking a long time i'm totally okay with it being very transformative i'm i'm okay with whatever but to watch them foster and um kind of empower their own sense of feminine energy, even if we're not even going to ever put that finger on what that is, they know it, they can feel it, they'll live it, they'll breathe it in that space and they'll heal from it. They'll heal from that process. The, your, to your question for me was like, what's the impact and what's the beauty of it, I guess. And like, I don't even know if I have like words for it, really. It's really, I
0: think, I think you're doing a great job. I actually want to want to ask you a few other questions around. Yeah, sure. I'm curious. What do you? I'm wondering if there's a difference between what men need and what women need to form that safe, cohesive space where the healing can happen. Mm -hmm. And then a, a piggyback on that is just this thought that I'm having, where I think for many times, for all of us, all humans, we all experience pain, we all experience trauma, we all suffer, and in order for healing to happen, it usually can't happen in isolation. We need somebody who we can relate with, who we can have a shared experience with essentially kind of like the pain in me seems, sees the pain in you, right? Those kinds of experiences, as much as we don't want other people to suffer also, it's knowing that we're not alone that can often promote the healing.
1: Hmm. Right. I, I I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's terribly different for women and men. I, I, but I can only speak from my perspective too. Um, right. I think safety is 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 the common and key component. You know, is it going to? Am I going to be able to do this with the perceived benefit? Um, but I, you know, I think too. Sometimes there's there's people in groups who are so in need of something to shift that they're willing to take a risk and not feel safe. I, so I think it just depends, but I, I think specifically with men, and I want to make sure, you know, I answer this the best that I can. I think that that there's, there's an identity that's very much negatively enforced. Um, and I think it does come from the idea it's men are in many ways seeing of what they're not, instead of what they are, and that might be more unique to men than women. Whereas women, um maybe they have an easier time to own that emotional self. Or maybe it feels more relieving to own it. So maybe women go into a woman's group and it's like, man, it's like this was super awesome and great and I feel good. And for men, the first reaction before it feels good might be like, holy shit, that was terrifying and I feel like a big idiot. I mean, who knows I, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. Who knows? I don't know the difference, but I, I think for a man that tends to be um, one of the barriers is just, it's just, it's super uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. That vulnerability can be really uncomfortable. And I think yeah. it, it probably we're talking very generally about men and women and there's sure. obviously a huge continuum here. Sure. But um, so I think some men might have an easier time with this and some women might have a harder time with it and vice versa. But I think, just generally speaking, that it's more, I I kind of want to go with socially acceptable for women to get together and talk about these vulnerable things that are happening in their lives to share these intimate moments. There's less in regards to kind of like societal norms that tell them that they can't do that. Men have more of those norms that say this isn't what men do. And right. that's what I think makes it more uncomfortable.
1: Right. I, exactly. I think it does. And, and you know, I'm glad you said that too. These are all general concepts we're throwing around. I mean, individuals are going to fall on a spectrum where they fall um, and changes they change. But I, I think my, my wish and my goal and my uh, intention in, in doing these groups is basically, I want to be coming from my place of experience And like I'd said before, I, I've done the military thing. I'm not a quintessential man's man. You know, I'm not, I'm just not, I mean, I'm a therapist too. So it's, I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm, I'm, I, I, I live in both worlds, you know, feminine, masculine energies and stuff, but I do have a good firm hold on what I see can be a, a world war men are coming from. And I want to be able to kind of like, Hey man, if I'm going to be the bridge for you to know that this is beneficial, then I'll, that's what I want to do. You know, that's, that's what I want to do. I, 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 I spent a lot of time when I left the military trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life, with my career. And like I don't want to do this really, for the rest of my life and I don't really want to do it anymore period. So when I left and I got into the counseling field, I was, it's, I guess it's been a process even up till now. And it's been, you know, 10 years or maybe a little less around 10 years, but of, uh, how do I translate my life experiences to benefit my work?
0: Mm.
1: Well, this is, I mean, this is probably another way I can do that.
0: Yeah. Do you have any visions of what's on the horizon for you, for your work, for your career, for your practice?
1: Yeah. Th- what a great question. You know, like I mentioned before, we started recording, I was talking to John Clark this morning and one of the things we mentioned was that goals and ex- expectations are constantly shifting.
0: All the time.
1: And growing and evolving. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so where I am right now, I, I, I'm, I'm ramping up and I'm scaling down at the same time in different areas of my business. And what I find myself doing and, and in my practice too, what, what I find myself doing is instead of going broad, I'm, I'm going deeper and it feels like that's what needs to happen for me right now. So, you know, like you and I are, um, doing Terry Rios' work and learning more about him. And I'm applying that to my, my practice here and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm scaling down on my, um, at least for right now, like my own podcast, I'm scaling down on some of my past kind of marketing outreach, um, not completely getting rid of it. I'm just scaling down a bit and maybe doing some, re- when I, when I am ready to r- r- ramp back up, I think I'm probably going to do some emphasis on, I think some of the things we're talking about now, uh, are around men and I'm, and I might, and I might target the audience might be more towards therapists and being able to help therapists, um, men or women, Yep. better connect with the men in their couple sessions or their, their, their individual clients. Um, I'd be happy and glad and, and probably pretty excited to just to help people do that if I can. So I might go that direction.
0: That makes so much sense from what I know of you, John.
1: Well, thanks. That's validating to hear. Cause wow. I really, I do. I value your opinion a lot.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that really makes sense. And I'm, I'm also happy to see Kind of how you're holding both, because I'm often looking for those places in my life where I could hold both too. how you're both ramping up and scaling down. You're seeing what things are getting in the way of your energy and attention that you need to kind of pull back from so, right. that, so that you can put your attention and energy in the things that are really feeding you.
1: Yeah, it's just I think you're right. It's, it's taken a while yeah. to learn. <laughs> I think it also a takes day. a while
0: to figure out what you want to put your energy and attention into. It and does. We need to diversify in order to find it. It does. Yeah.
1: It, it <laughs> does. And and I, I love the term abundance. And I really do. And one of the reasons I like it so much is because you can make it whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And it's like, I think one, some of the things that were holding me back for quite a, a while was that I, I had a fear that if I didn't, go all out or if I didn't try the newest thing that I would miss out <laughs> you know what is that FOMO what, is that what that is
0: I think that's what mean? the millennials call it yeah
1: yeah right <laughs> and uh, so I I caught a good case of FOMO and you know abundance in its in its pure sense is just this sense of you're gonna be alright man you know you're, it's, it's still gonna be there you have time there's no end of opportunity you know so there's some patience in that and some uh, willingness to let things ebb and flow and just being okay with it. So I, I'm, it, it just feels good to, to yeah. kind of live in that space.
0: Kind of trusting the process and knowing that for, for me anyway, much of this is about knowing that I'm on my course and that there will be pivots and there will be shifts and there will be times and places where there's too much of one thing or another and I get uncomfortable and I decide to scale back. Right. But right. knowing that this is a long game that I'm, I'm not meant to have all the answers today when, you know, I'm still going to be working and building this thing for the next 30 years or more.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, you know, trusting the process is really important and it's also like, the last words that a, that a new private practice owner wants to hear. Right. Right. It's like,
0: those are scary words.
1: You just, it's, I mean, you might as well just like drop the F bomb at me, you know, like oh, trusting my process, trusting the yeah. process. But, um,
0: I think there's a place for it though.
1: There's absolutely a place for it. Yeah. There is, there's, there's a, there's a place to, to freak out and fight the, the concept of trusting your process. But, you know, maybe it's inevitable when you first start because you're, you're 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 fighting so many different factors, um, but you know you you have to meet it. Like if you're if you don't trust your process, uh, eventually and or work towards that and start having it work for you instead of against you, and really start to relax into it, then um, this isn't going to be a very fun ride.
0: I think that's where we get into burnout.
1: Yeah, you get into burnout for sure. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna resent your job instead of love it yeah i want I to love it
0: i, I want to love it too and i so i think this is the kind of thing that it's kind of like a, a middle space you know like it, even like an advanced beginner kind of process because i think in the very beginning we need to get our systems in place we need to know kind of what's our foundation and we need to have that grounding under us before right. we can get to the place that we can start trusting anything
1: right yeah it's it's really important and i, and I feel like too The systems thing has come up a lot. Either I'm noticing it more lately or it's like the new focal point, this this concept of systems. And yeah, I mean...
0: I'm talking really general. Like you you need to know how to keep notes. You need to know how to get clients in your door. You need to know, you know, to collect money and where to put that money, Yeah, (laughs) you know, like basics. I'm not talking about big, big time systems. I'm talking... okay.
1: The very well, small
0: systems, but you have to create them. And when you're starting, I, uh, you, don't, you don't know where to start necessarily.
1: Well, I, I think, we're. I think I'm, I think I'm talking to thinking the same thing too, because there's smaller things that you mentioned right in there that I, I'm still honing down. And, and like, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm constantly focused in on my next project and I'm ignoring the fact that I'm a couple of weeks behind on my notes, like I don't feel good about that. Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, they're, the systems are super important. Yeah. You know,
0: to find things that can streamline and simplify our process. I know you just had a big aha moment around scheduling recently. I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I did.
0: (laughs) And I had a huge aha moment recently around note keeping. Did you? What was it? (sighs) Let me give away my, my, my little thing. I have these tiny little legal pads and Uh I take notes during session. Okay. And then I scan them and I upload them into my EHR and shred the paper.
1: Brilliant. (laughs) She's brilliant.
0: And it's like, why didn't I do this years ago?
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh. Well, I think you just cracked the code there with that one. I, 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 for some reason, I, I, someone else might've thought of that. I just never heard of it, but I think that's great.
0: I don't, I don't know why it took me so long to find it. It's like when you find these, whatever the code is because we all have different codes for different things. right? And when we get to these places where all of a sudden we have these like aha moments, we're like, why did it take me so long to figure this out?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so, it's interesting you say that. Um, I've got a, um, I've got a podcast episode in my to be published file and it's, it's me and my good friend from college. And, uh, we took a trip back to where we went to school at Virginia tech. This is back in June. And, um, we sat outside on the last day that we were there and we did a podcast episode. And during, during that weekend, as we're, walking around campus and talking and catching up and we're talking business and future ideas and he, he's he's a he's a lieutenant colonel in the air force so at some point he's gonna he's gonna retire and we're talking that's so weird saying that word um retire i don't feel that old um so at some point he's gonna he's gonna switch transition careers right and so we're kind of brainstorming and we're just we're really in this space that is unique to us as friends and so we never kind of like had, had to talk to this in depth, but anyway, he's got this saying, and he would say, um, when he would get insights, he's like, I think the mothership is above us. I mean, kind of like beaming down these insights and, um, kind of like out of world, uh, awareness yeah. bits and pieces, you know, kind of like you, um, in an esoteric way, maybe you've heard of the term of like, you know, greater sense of self or like my soul being, or like my, um, I don't know whatever terminology we hear, but um, I just thought that's interesting. Like, so, so like this week I'm having all these insights, you get this epiphany to scan and upload your notes. And it's like the mothership has arrived in in November. And and it's maybe it's a time to kind of like take this in and maybe implementing is not, it's not the season for that yet, but maybe right now is this time where it's like, Hey, a lot of good ideas and energies floating around and maybe time to catch the uh, the wave of what, what that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this is, there's something going on right now. I'm certainly yeah. feeling that energy.
1: Yeah. Well, then it's not just me. Then you are. No, too. no, no.
0: I'm, I'm feeling it too. Well, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> Keep me updated on this note thing. I um, will. I even will. if it's super secret under wraps, but yeah, I want. Yeah, it's not it.
0: really so super secret anymore, is it? Well,
1: it's not. But you, you, you could have just you know avoided putting that little bit out on the podcast. But if you want to keep it in there, more, more no, power to you.
0: I'm gonna go ahead and keep it in. Excellent.
1: Yeah, but you know, I, I, I think for me, I, and maybe you agree with this, and maybe a lot of the listeners do too, but. Um, it's not even the notes. The notes are simple. It's the fact that when I don't keep up with them or I don't keep up with certain aspects of my business, it just weighs on me energetically. I don't like the feeling of knowing that I'm not caught up and I'm not able to be fully present with what I'm trying to do or create or, or to, to work on. I just don't, I don't like it. So, you know, the benefit there is like, all right, I'm a master procrastinator. I admit it. Um, I could teach a class on it, but... No. I, yeah, it benefits me to knock it out and just do it, get it done.
0: You know, I, I love where this conversation is going and these are the kind of conversations that you and I have had, Mm -hmm. you know, they're the kind of conversations that we were walking down the street in Toronto having. So, you know, I'm launching this program, um, later this month, November 27th, I think is the, when the program, when the doors open. Okay. And um, kind of what we're talking about right now is so much about what this program is because we're really trying to help people find their own way and notice kind of what systems they need, not because I'm teaching a particular system, but notice what kind of things are showing up for them and saying, this is the way to make life easier. This is the way to integrate more between your work and your life.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's really necessary. You know, what's funny is, I guess as therapists, we have to take time intentionally to like give that space for our own process. And that means getting out of our analytical minds because process is different than planning process is different than certainty process is different than strategizing. It is a organic and very necessary process. And we have to create some, some type of space and parameter for it so much. So much that. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not even like negotiable. Like we have to do it. And I yeah. think that we I don't know. I just think we're really susceptible to 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 like overlooking it. And then we wonder why we feel burnout, or we wonder why we feel anxious, or we wonder why we feel ineffective, or we wonder why we're doubting ourselves. Like, well, sh- shit, man. I mean, are we giving ourselves the time to be human?
0: And I, I think, you know, there's another thing that happens in there. And that's oftentimes when we get together with colleagues, we go into a place of comparison or judgment or competition and it's hard to get into that process and to truly feel safe doing it.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I, I think as, as loving and as empathetic and as nurturing as we are at heart, like it's, it's going to come out. So there's sort of competitiveness, there's a judgmental piece. Um, all that stuff is there. And mm-hmm. so I, I mean, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, I, you know, that's the kind of space you want to encourage, which is leaving that, acknowledging it, but leaving it aside and, and really being able to connect on, on a, on an entirely different level.
0: This is a hard thing to talk about. I'm noticing
1: dude. it's a super hard thing to talk about because <laughs> it's not because it's it, because the essence doesn't lie in words.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: Right. So, it's like the more that we want to like verbalize it and the more we want to put a label on it, the less it becomes what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like oh. thank you
0: for that. Yeah. So it's like, all right. It's hey. an experience. That's that's what it is. And I think so much like the men's groups, you know, there has to be right. that that safety net in right. order to be able to go there and have the experience. And right. I think in many ways that's what I'm hoping to create. Right. Is that that experience. Right. Well,
1: I, I, I think it's important that, you know, in in terms of you know, putting out that, that invitation, you know, I, I think that's probably a good place, you know, where we're talking pain points, because if I don't know what I don't know, which is the benefit of being experiential, then I'm not going to understand what you're talking about if I'm brand new. But what I do know is that I'm tired of being burnt out or I am tired of being, um, you know, in a low mood or feeling like I'm exhausted or whatever the case might be or lost or scattered. Um, I can relate to that. And if you're telling me that that I can find some, um, space and clarity from it, like, um, that's attractive. That's very attractive to me. Right. And I really like what you said about the comparison piece. Like that's like the elephant in the room with therapists is, um, that com- that, the, that that competitive voice that's always just kind of there, and you're trying to ignore it, but it's there, and it's like I don't want that.
0: Melody Wilding and I had a really great conversation on a past podcast about jealousy and how jealousy is actually one of those things that shows up within us when we're kind of facing our own imposter syndrome stuff.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's huge.
0: <laughs>
1: that's huge. Yeah. yeah comparison is
0: it's a form of jealousy.
1: Gosh. Yeah. 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 It really is. And
0: yeah.
1: vice versa. I, I think it's, it's com- it just, it's basically like I'm not enough and somehow you are and you have what I don't have and I want it. And yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a plague. I i, I think we all experience it to some degree. We just
0: well it's relational of course we all experience it you know we all go through these places of am i enough or am i not enough?" or am i too much or yeah
1: right and why do you have something that i want you know like why do you get it and i don't you know it's that it's
0: because in you i see me
1: right right Mm -hmm. right
0: yeah
1: Yeah, it it's it's such a and and i think to um you know, maybe we can, we can relate to on this as, as this therapist, like, man, we don't want to feel jealous and judgmental. Like, that's not, no, I don't like that. That gets in the way of me doing hopefully what I do best. And I don't want to feel that way. So, um, it, kind of calling it out for what it is. Um, I think you're probably going to get people that are going to be wanting to, you know, be in that space without that, because that is attractive.
0: Yeah. I think I there's already a group forming around the sponsorship program, and it, they awesome. are they are an amazing crew. So awesome! I'm I'm really excited to share this with them.
1: This is going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: And long you know, excited for you. Thank you, thank you. And I'm I'm also you know I'll just kind of throw this out there too, that you and I and um, a few others are also just we're kind of starting to be this for each other, and so I just want to say that I'm really excited for what's coming for us for all of us too.
1: Yeah. uh, Likewise. Likewise. I, I, I feel the same. I feel the same. Um, it's, it's exciting. Um, and so, but in a different way, like it, I guess, I think in the past it was kind of like, what could be like, Oh, what if this comes through and works and like, and this feels more like I'm excited about what is like that. This feels good. Like, oh, yeah. this is cool. And it's just got a different feel to it. And I'm glad you said that because I hadn't really put my finger on it.
0: Yeah. For me, it's, you know, like we, we were out in Toronto for the, the practicum with Shane. And um, we just really, I felt like we got to know each other on another level. You know, I felt like, I don't know, I felt much younger than I actually am on that trip.
1: I, I, did, I, I did too. And, and you, got, you got to see me in almost borderline meltdown mode. So you got the you got the special um, uh, uh, version of me too, and I'm like, i
0: got to say, your your almost meltdown mode is not so melty. Oh man! Well, I didn't get to see that side of it.
1: I just maybe it was just I was really trying to keep it together. I I, I was like, and and please don't ask me to repeat the story because I I just don't have the time. And, we have and, it recorded. We have it recorded. <laughs> But like, it was like travel experience from hell. I, I, the best way I could, my sister calls me up while I was there and she was like, you got to tell me what happened. And I was like, I'll tell you when I get home. I was like, watch planes, trains, and automobiles with John Candy and Steve Martin. And that's pretty much what I just went through <laughs> from Cincinnati to Toronto. Like that it, was me. It was hell. It, it, was hell. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. And, uh, I, I it was really cool. Um, when we we actually got a chance to, to meet up and you had kind of experienced your your own experience with with the travel yeah. debacle on your end so like you're listening to me and I know you're feeling my pain and I'm like oh this is this is like the p- most perfect person I could talk to you right now because anyone else I, I might just have to punch in the nose
0: <laughs> I appreciate not yeah <laughs> So, John, I want to thank you for coming on today. Yeah, and it's been great. Sure. It's been really fun. And uh, we danced around quite a bit. But, you know, I think my listeners know me well enough right now to know that we dance a little bit on this podcast. So thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's always fun talking with you. And um, this is extra kind of fun because I think we intentionally sat down with the purpose of uh, you talking about some things that I, that I know um, we're both hold important and, and uh, just kind of get a chance to know each other just a little bit better. So.
0: Yeah. I, I really like exploring these topics with you and, you know, I feel like I walk away with, with a deeper understanding. It's kind of like, you know, I know we're both digesting and learning this stuff and making it our own as we learn it from a master. And so I think in many ways, it's, it's really fun to digest it with you.
1: It is. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for letting us air it on the podcast too. No problem. Always so grateful for an opportunity to connect with John. You can find John and his work over at lifemadeconscious.com. I would so love to hear your feedback about this episode and hear more about what you'd like to hear also in future episodes. So drop me a note over at practiceofbeingseen.com slash feedback. I also invite you to hop on over to our community on Facebook and join in the conversation about this episode. And if you can't tell, I'm really excited about the Connectfulness Method Mentorship Program. The doors are opening in just a few days on the 27th of November, 2017. And this is the first time I'm offering this particular program, so it's our inaugural group. There's still a spot or two open, so if you're thinking about joining us, do shoot me a message. We'll have a little chat and see if we can get you in. The program is chock full of everything that I believe we need as therapists to live a really integrated life and to be the change that we want to see in the world. I would love to help you make those dreams possible for you too. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind the scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris, Jr. and Sr., and produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of the Pobscast brought to you by Connectfulness.